So, um, quick introduction. Um, some of you will obviously know Paul very, very well. Most of you will. But if you're not entirely sure who this man is, um, I repeatedly remind people because it's really important to honour. Uh, Paul and Viv were led all saints before Kath and I came. So in 2002, Paul and Viv moved from Old Hill in Dudley down the road to reboot this church. And what we have, we wouldn't have if it wasn't for them. So that's the that's who Paul is, and it's a joy to have him as one of the clergy still here. Um, and part of your journey, Paul, has been out of health issues and all that came with that, um, a, spirit, a spiritual journey, really, of embracing all of this stuff, hasn't it? So I guess what would be really helpful for us is to understand like, something of that and what you've learned along the way about how do we even begin to do this? Like, you were forced into it. We've got the opportunity to choose it. Tell us something about that. Okay, so, um, yeah, on one level, it's really weird for me to be here as an advocate of silence and solitude because I used to be quite resistant to that uh, and uh, it's not something I engaged with at all. 25 years ago when I was at theological college, I was the one who, when they had a quiet day, made sure I'd got my um, Sony Walkman I say that for people of a certain generation, uh, and my headphones in and a cassette tape listening to my worship songs because I couldn't see the point of what they were um, maybe not explaining to us that well. Um, so there was, there was a bit of youthful arrogance. Uh, there was a bit of failure to explain what was going on. So I was resistant at that point. I guess over the years of my ministry, I became more open uh, to the possibility that God might meet me in silence and that it might not all be about me talking to him and me listening actively to him, but a place of, of stillness and silence. So I, I went on a couple of uh, silent retreats. I had a spiritual director who's still my spiritual director who used to lead silent retreats where you actually get introduced to the whole concept and guided through it with an individual guide. And that began, but that was like a once a year thing. That still probably wasn't my daily practice. But when I became ill, which is what happened um, three or four years into my time uh, leading this church, um, some of my old resources for prayer um, were, were taken from me along with my health. Because um, with ME, I lost all ability to focus, concentrate, uh, read really, Things like reading the Bible and doing my quiet time became inaccessible to me. Um, and actually doing very much at all became inaccessible to me. So, as you say, through force of circumstance, uh, I had to find another way to connect with God. And I found it to be a much more uh, fruitful way and a deepening way uh, than I ever experienced. Um, now, we don't all have to go through um, the, the brokenness and the breakdown of, of ill health. Um, I think the way it works for a lot of people is A, to be talked properly about it like we're doing here and through this series. Um, I don't think anyone ever uh, did a sermon like we've heard this morning um, in the first 20 years of me being a Christian. So, you know, take that on board, folks. This is really important stuff. But I think the driving force can be, A, just hearing that there is something that's really important and out there and that Jesus did, mm -hmm. um, and then being helped into that process. 
The other driving force I, I hear amongst many people now is a beginning of dissatisfaction with the ways people have prayed up until now. A sense that what once worked for me isn't now uh, giving me the encounter with God, the connection with God, and the depth with God that, that I long for. Thank you. So helpful. Um, one of the things we noticed, hopefully you saw that in the scriptures that we looked at, is that Jesus withdrew to the Eremos, and he didn't just sort of hang out wondering what next. He, he intentionally went there to pray. And Paul, you often talk with us on the staff team, and I know with people you do retreats with and things like that, about silent prayer, which I guess is what Jesus was doing, or part of what Jesus was doing. Can you, can you give us a... A simple introduction, maybe an explanation of what, what do you mean by silent prayer? What, what would praying in the Eremos look like? Okay, again, this is, it's really helpful to have this unpacked a bit. I can remember someone opening our, uh, our lectures, our Old Testament lectures at Theological College and just saying, let's be silent for a minute. And then half a minute later, so she wasn't even accurate, um, she would just say, Amen. And I, and I was there refusing, because I was quite rebellious as well as arrogant, um, refusing to say amen, because I didn't know what I was saying amen to. And it was a complete failure on my part to understand what was going on, and maybe on her part to explain. Um, so it is different from other forms of prayer. And, and it's not um, to exclude other forms of prayer. Um, but I love that sense of understanding which I've grown into that all, most of the other forms of prayer that we have are, are transactional. There's something almost like uh, a deal going on between us and God. Intercession is us asking God for things. Confession is us asking God to forgive us for things. Even in our praise and worship sometimes we have this sense of we're praising and worship in order that God might bless us with his presence. And silent prayer is much more about us saying to God, uh, I just want to be with you here. Uh, and the illustration that I find help, most helpful uh, for that is that the people that you are most comfortable with in your relationships and in your day-to-day -day lives uh, will be marked out, I think, by the fact that they're people that you are willing to be silent with. So if I'm on a car journey uh, with someone who I'm just car sharing with, and I know them enough to say, can we share cars on this journey, uh, but not well enough to feel completely at home with them, we will talk for the whole journey, because neither of us feel comfortable enough to shut up in each other's presence. And often that's great, and you can learn a lot about the person. But when I'm with someone I know really well, when Viv and I share a car journey together, we talk some of the time and we don't talk some of the time. And it's not because we've just had an argument, it's just that we're totally comfortable in each other's presence. Um, and so there is a depth of relationship with God where it's okay to say, this, this part of my prayers, there will be other parts to my prayer, but this part of my prayer, I just want to be with you to sit in your presence, uh, to experience your love. Uh, and I think it's very much an inner prayer and it's very much a deep prayer. Um, and it's a very much a simple prayer. So 
you know, you talked about me, me being further down the road from you, but the thing I love about this whole contemplative world, which I've discovered almost by chance, is that it's a very non-competitive world. And one of the great early teachers on this from the early years of the church said it is good for everyone to consider themselves a beginner in this. Um, and so sometimes I've heard people say, well, I can't speak up in the prayer meeting because I'm not as good with my words as other people. Folks, this is easy because you don't need any words. Thank you. And uh, we've had this conversation before, but I think often what can happen is we, we tend to think, oh, this, this needs to be long extended times, you know, up a mountain or in a log cabin in wet Wales for a week. And there's totally a place for that. Yes. Um, and I know you've been on week-long silent retreats and all that sort of stuff. But actually, I mean, so, so definitely that. But, and I find that when, I'm, when I've done longer times, it's easier then to have shorter times. But really, I think that where the money is, so to speak, for us in the midst of everyday ordinary life is learning to enter the Eremos in shorter moments of time all over the place. Can you say a little bit about you know, how you punctuate your day and grab time and take it and make it that kind of that practice? Yeah, yeah. So I think you're exactly right. As, as you learn this um, skill, practice as you practice, um, you get better at being able to forge tiny little bits of silence uh, which stay with you in, in the noise. If you, if you look at that thing that you said about external silence and internal silence, actually if you develop the ability to, to still yourself within, um, which initially it's great to have the external silence for, you can learn to be internally still in a noisy world. Um, and we have less choice over that, don't we? We can, at home, we can choose, or in the car, we can choose not to switch on the radio, not to have lots of noises going on in the background. But, I mean, for example, this week I went to London uh, I caught a relatively, for me, early train, so I didn't have time to be still at home. Um, but I had an hour and a half then on a train. Um, now, they don't seem to have quiet carriages. Like, I used to always choose the quiet carriage. Uh, there didn't seem to be one on this particular train. And so people were talking and making phone calls and watching Netflix and stuff on their tablets. But I was still able to have stillness on the train. But normally at home, my practice is that relatively early on in a day, not first thing because I'm not a first thing person, it's very rarely before it was light like it was for Jesus. Um, so it's after I've woken up, had some breakfast. For me, I'm blessed with having a house that goes quiet as well because Viv goes to work and Chris is often at work too. Um, and I have some time and space within the house to, um, to set the alarm. Um, and on a good day, for me, I can then set uh, a 25-minute uh, alarm um, so I don't have to keep checking the time. I just know that something will go buzz in 25 minutes. If I know that I've got to be out earlier, that time can be less than that. Um, and and the, again, the more you practice this, the more a small amount of silence can feed into the rest of the day. But by having an intentional time of being still, relatively early on in the day for me, um, during which I use, um, this might sound slightly uh, contradictory, when we say silent prayer, one of the ways in which we focus in our prayer, 
because the biggest problem with silent prayer is distractions and other thoughts that come in, uh, is we focus back on God through a simple word or, or scripture of prayer. Um, God, I'm here for you, or God, you're here for me, or some short little sentence, Lord, have mercy. Uh, even just the name Jesus repeated um, means that whenever you're trying to be still and just sense yourself in the loving presence of God and suddenly you're thinking about the 23 things you're supposed to have already done today, just come back to the name of Jesus. Come back to whatever your prayer phrase is. Um, once you've done that for a period of the day, whenever the noise uh, of thoughts, fears, anxieties, jobs, tasks, people crashes in on you again, it's much easier to reconnect with that little God loves me, I'm a child of God, truth that you've started the day with. So I start the day with that. I usually, if I get chance, do a little walk at lunchtime and I've chosen to make that walk a walk where I don't listen to podcasts and things. There's a cost to this. I've, I've got a list of podcasts I want to listen to that grows literally longer by the day because people keep podcasting. I wish they would just stop. <laughs> I wish they would just have like a fast of releasing podcasts so that I could catch up for a bit. But it's only like the books on my unread books shelf that keeps getting longer and longer. So there's, there's a cost. I choose not to spend that time listening to worthy and good stuff. And I choose to do my walk in the presence of God. So there's another point in the day in which I've connected with God. And then I try and finish the day uh, with a sense of connecting with him too and reflecting on what the day has brought. Thank you. And as we, uh, when we had a similar conversation with Paul Wilcox, I, I reminded you that although he's now on sabbatical and it's easy for him because he has a different kind of job, the danger for us is we think, well, it's all right for Paul because he's a spiritual director now and he's got all the time in the world. Actually, he doesn't. Um, and all of us can build this practice into our lives. We've just got to work out how. Um, 